This is episode number 95 of the Ships Podcast with Robert Plotkin. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McAndrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of the Ships Podcast. I hope you are ready for a great one because we have a great guest joining us today. And his name is Robert Plotkin. He is the founder of Technology for Mindfulness, a leading blog and top 40 iTunes podcast on science, technology, and mindfulness. In his Tap into Mindfulness program, he teaches people how to be less distracted by their smartphones and how to retake control over their time to be more focused, productive, and creative. His unique approach to technology and mindfulness stems from his combination of expertise in technology as an MIT-educated computer scientist, decades of experience with Japanese martial arts, and training in mindfulness-based stress reduction. He has written seven books on the social impact of computer technology, is a co-founder of the Hack Your Mind program at MIT, and he is the host of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Robert has recently launched the Tap into Mindfulness course designed for students and teachers to use their smartphones more mindfully to be more focused, grounded, productive, and creative. So it's safe to say that Robert is an expert when it comes to topics around how to use technology more mindfully. In this episode, we discuss how tech is really distracting us, how tech is in a lot of ways becoming part of our subconscious and how these tech messages can seep into our consciousness. We talk about his unique background as a computer scientist and how this background paired with his martial arts experience really develops his theory and methodology for developing a healthier relationship with technology. We talk about how tech has the tendency to enhance our feelings while taking us out of our bodies. We talk about why it is crucially important to practice focus and to practice being present. Tech has trained us to use their apps, and now we must train ourselves to develop a deeper level of awareness and focus. So this is a great episode that I think all of you are really going to enjoy. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. So without further ado, let me please introduce Robert Plotkin. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today's guest is Robert Plotkin. Robert, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks, Pat. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. We were talking a little bit about this before we dived into the recording. You're really coming at this digital wellness, tech ethics, digital well-being space from a unique background where you're really combining all these different facets of your career, of your life and really implementing them into mindfulness for technology or technology for mindfulness. And so I'm really excited to really dive into this conversation and have you share some of your words of wisdom with our listeners today. Oh, well, thanks so much. Yeah, I mean, my main focus is on distraction from technology, which everybody can relate to. You know, these devices are supposed to help us be more connected with each other, to be more productive, and they can be that. But as we all know, very often they are trying to grab and capture our attention and redirect it towards something other than what we set out to do with devices. You know, you may be going to write a message to someone or do something creative, artwork or or write a book, and then you find a notification pops up from an advertiser out of the blue, right? Captures your attention and then off you go down the rabbit hole. 
Uh, this is what I started to experience many years ago, and that's what I've been grappling with primarily. And as you said, I've used many different parts of my own background, both as a computer scientist, a mindfulness meditator, a martial artist, a business owner, all of these different experiences I've had uh, to bring to bear on how to help myself stay more focused and less distracted, and then to help other people do the same thing. Yeah, I absolutely love that because I, I've only begun to realize really this subconscious effect that advertisements have on us, where after I see a certain number of ads that are within kind of the same field or same kind of way where they're saying, okay, I have to live a certain way. I have to purchase this in order to be happy. It's only been recently where I've looked back and be like, oh, wow, like it was that the ad working on me? Oh, it probably was. And it was because I was just, it, it had this way of drawing me in. And it's because it's specifically tailored, like you were saying, to distract us and to steal our attention away. Yeah. And it can happen in a few different ways. You know, I mentioned the notification coming up where the distraction happens in the moment of the notification. But I think you're talking about something which is a little bit more pernicious and hard to notice, which is, there is no notification popping up, but you might be thinking about a message that's been displayed to you a number of times recently, and now it's become part of your subconscious thinking. And, you know, there's no conspiracy theory there. That is just how our brains work. <clears throat> it's particularly powerful these days on computers when, like, you're on your desktop computer, you're reading something on a web page, and there might be an advertisement off in the corner or a bunch of news articles off on the side with headlines where you notice them out of the corner of your eye, but because you're not really focused on them, those messages that you see there can seep into your subconscious in a way that you're not really uh, focused on. And as a result, your defenses aren't really up against them. And there was studies done of this, particularly in the last election, you know, the fake news articles. Yes, uh, yes. One way they worked really well was to pop up just as headlines on the sides of social media pages or other websites. And even when people never clicked on the links to those fake news articles, uh, it, the, the messages in them often seeped into people's subconscious such that they gave them credibility. Uh, like Pope endorses Trump. <laughs> you may have never clicked on the headline, but you probably saw it 50 times. Yeah. And, you know, it could eventually lead you not to believe that, but to somehow think it's plausible without ever, ever really paying close attention to it or analyzing it. So there's lots of different ways in which this can happen, including these messages seeping into your consciousness on their own. They can become internalized. Uh, that's a particularly a dangerous way in which this can occur and in which uh, mindfulness can be super helpful because what is mindfulness meditation and practice intended to do? It's to help develop that habit of paying conscious attention to your own thoughts as they arise. And so one way that can help you is that when you do have some thought arise in your mind, that you're able to step back from it, pay attention to it instead of just following it and letting it take the lead, which is so easy to do, you can stop and say, oh, do I really believe this? Do I really want to pay attention to this thought right now? Or do I want to put it to the side and go back to what I was focused on doing? So uh, as you mentioned, I use a lot of techniques and drawn a lot of different uh, aspects of my own life uh, to help people. But mindfulness, I think of as a foundation. It's something that underlies all of the other particular tips and tricks and skills because no matter how you decide to f focus on being more focused, mindfulness can help you. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. It really comes to this sense of awareness and uh, an awareness of yourself, an awareness of your surroundings. And mindfulness is really laying that foundation to heighten our, our awareness. I'm wondering if we could step back a little bit. We were talking a little bit about how you really entered this space kind of from this position of always being distracted. I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners maybe a little bit more about your background and really what led you to create this platform? Yeah, you know, for most of my life, I've been someone who's been really good at staying focused and not distracted. I've been a writer since a young age. I've also been a programmer since a young age. And I have memories going back to, you know, early 1980s of sitting down at a computer 
before the internet, <laughs> before email, before social media, and this is something many people don't even have any experience with, before multitasking on computers, when you were at a computer, it could only show you one screen from one piece of software at a time. <laughs> you couldn't switch back and forth between multiple windows. I remember writing, and, and some people will remember this, you'd start a word processor and just see a cursor blinking on a blank <laughs> screen, kind of like a typewriter. So that's my memory of being at a computer. It was a tool for focus when I wanted to be creative. I did a lot of creative writing. I wrote code uh, and, and I could be super focused at a computer. In fact, being at a computer could help me be even more focused. And that's my main memory. And then I started to experience that gradually starting to change. Internet came along. For me, it first was email, uh, then the web then mobile devices, and each new development like this started to distract me more, make it harder to maintain that focus, create more temptations to divert my attention to do something else. Read an ad. We talk about ads, but a lot of times the diversions are from our friends and family. You know, messages <laughs> yeah. coming in, things people yeah. are sharing with us that are cool or really valuable, but not what we want to focus on in that moment. So I found gradually, and this is through the, through the 90s and after, I was finding it harder and harder to focus doing my, my work as a lawyer, I'm full-time patent lawyer, uh, to do the things I enjoyed creatively and for fun on computers. And I actually, I wrote a book starting in the mid-2000s, and I wrote a lot of the first draft of that book on pen and paper because I found it was impossible. That's amazing. <laughs> engage, you know, Cal Newport has used this term, deep work. Yes, you know, yes. Very hard to engage in the kind of deep thought I needed to, to write an outline for a book length work. Uh, and so I just turned to pen and paper and it was so much better. But there was a part of me that thought, this is wrong. Computers are so powerful, it shouldn't be that it's impossible to use them anymore to engage in deep, sustained thought. That when I sit down at one, I have to fight it constantly just to stay focused. Uh, and I had this prior experience for about a decade or more of computers being focus-enhancing tools. So I had this belief and a strong motivation that we could regain those old focus promoting aspects of computers while still keeping all of the benefits of the faster speeds, the internet connectivity, connection with other people. I mean, maybe that's crazy, but I do think <laughs> it's possible for us to regain the best of both worlds. And that's what my mission became when I started Technology for Mindfulness. Yeah, I think a lot of it too is really our approach. And I think so much of what you you practice and what, what you teach as well is our approach to technology. How can we use technology for good? How can we use it in a way that is going to benefit us and benefit our goals and what we want to accomplish as opposed to it being this thing that is really enticing and very attractive and distracting and just pulling us away from all of these things that we need to get done. Yeah, this is a great way, a place to bring in the, the martial arts angle. Yes, yes, please, yes, please, yeah. So, yes, you have this background in martial arts. Please, please share with our listeners how you incorporate that into uh, technology for mindfulness, and and really just like what, how have you, how have you implemented the, these practices into your work? Yeah, well, so I've studied Japanese martial arts since I was about ten or eleven years old, mostly karate, mostly a style called Shotokan. I've also studied Japanese jujitsu, but it's been a passion of mine for about as long as I've been programming, interestingly enough. And uh, there is a significant element of mindfulness built into the, the training of martial arts. And there was a point at which I realized when I was struggling with technology that when my smartphone would beep at me, my physiological response to that, tensing up, maybe stopping breathing, was very much like the natural reaction to having a punch thrown at me. Oh, wow. It would wow. feel like being attacked. And maybe people out there listening can relate to that. You know, what does it feel like when a notification pops up that's tempting to you? Yeah, you kind of tense up a little you bit. You tense up, yeah. your heart rate may spike, you're breathing, you have a, a fight or flight or freeze type response physiologically. So that made a light bulb go off for me, uh, which was hopeful because I said, well, you know what? 
I have a lot of experience and training in how to deal with being attacked. <laughs> I know how to deal with this, not just externally, as you might think of in martial arts, blocking or moving out of the way physically, but you do learn internal techniques for how to stay focused and grounded and present in the face of an attack coming out at you, even when you feel fear. That's a big part of the training. So I started to think about how could I adapt that sort of internal martial arts training to the smartphone, which is similar in some ways, but of course quite different in other ways. Right. But the first part of it was training, and I've developed this now into techniques that I teach for maintaining your own intention and focus of your attention in the face of a distracting, tempting notification or other stimulus from, from a device. Because otherwise, your natural reaction is to follow it. Hmm. You know, that message that pops up, the natural path of least resistance is to turn your attention to it and I'd almost say what it wants you to do. <laughs> Even though we know the, the device doesn't really want you to do anything, it can feel as if it does. And in the martial arts training I've, I've had, there is, uh, there's a few concepts. One of them is, is called Sen in Japanese, which has a few layers of meaning, but one of them is essentially, uh, you're always trying to take Sen in a fight, which means take control over the flow of the fight. And I, I sometimes use other sports analogies. I don't know if you watch tennis, you know, someone serves and you'll sometimes see a really good serve, throw the, the receiver off balance. And then they return and then the server is grounded and is getting the other person to just run back and forth, always on the defense, never settled and grounded. In that case, the, the server has taken send. They are in control of the other person and in the flow of the back and forth. I see our phones as often taking sin over us, huh. right? Yeah. They beep at us, we respond, we do something, we, we click on that message, then something else pops up, we respond. If we're constantly just reacting to what the phone is doing, it's very much like the phone has taken sin, taken control over us, it's leading us and we're just responding to it, we're no longer acting according to what our goal or intention is. Uh, and there are ways to work on, and I can give you some, some simple ones that you, you, know, you can practice. Yes, very please simple do. One, which you know, will be very familiar to people who do mindfulness meditation, is to practice when your phone wakes up, notifies you, does anything to capture your attention to pause and take at least one deep in and out breath before you do anything. And what that helps to do if you practice it is interrupt the automatic reaction cycle by inserting a pause, you know, a mindful pause, which may only last a few seconds, but it's enough to calm your body down, help you settle your mind so that you have the opportunity to make a decision oh, do I want to respond to this notification or not? What was I doing before the notification popped up? Do I want to continue with that? <laughs> it's funny how sometimes we forget. We forget like what task we were on or what we were doing when the phone pulls us away from that. And we're like, wait a second, what, what was just happening? And it really takes that time to reaccommodate ourselves back to the task at hand. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's an example. And it's analogous to, um, you know, I, I just can think of thousands of times in martial arts training, we practice someone throwing a punch at you. And instead of blocking, the punch is gonna stop, you know, an inch before your face. And what you practice doing is keeping your eyes focused on the punch and relaxing and breathing while it's happening. And what that helps you do over time is interrupt and eventually unlearn that natural freeze or flight or fight response, which is adaptive and helpful in certain ways, but when you're always triggered by that instinctive response, it can only take you so far. Um, and so by unlearning it, you create the space in which to make a conscious decision about how you want to act, and you can do the same thing with your phone. Yeah, oh my gosh, this is, uh, amazing material because it puts this really I, I i see the internet social media the online space 
as really this intangible sort of thing. In a lot of ways, it could be dis difficult to grasp sometimes. And taking a step back, though, to use your analogy of martial arts, it really puts it in a tangible sense. And at least for me, and I imagine for many of our listeners as well, it really physical physicalizes yes. our relationship with technology in a way that, well, yes, like the, a phone is a, a physical thing. And yes, we need to interact with it by using our fingers to push, push buttons and everything. It, it really takes it outside of just that small, intimate relationship with that phone and really allows us to assess things from a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the devices tend to focus our attention on our thoughts and take away from our bodies. You're right. Uh, that's one aspect of it. They also tend to trigger our feelings very directly in ways that if you're not practicing mindfulness, you're probably not very aware of. And as a result, you can then be controlled by your feelings. And what are the feelings that uh, devices and social media tend to trigger? I see two primary ones. One is fear, which may seem strange. And people think, I'm not controlled by fear when I'm using social media. But everyone's heard the term FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah, it's yeah. a real fear. If you find yourself when your phone is away, thinking about your phone, being drawn towards picking it up and checking it, and you ask yourself, what's behind this? There may be a thought, but ask, what's the feeling? It's probably fear. Uh, this is one of the two main, main draws, fear missing out. And if you practice mindfulness or at least pause, you can start to examine that fear, uh, get behind it, and also start to ask, examine, investigate the fear and ask how realistic it is. Our minds can often tell us a story about something like, like the fear that if we don't act on it and check the phone, something disastrous is going to happen. Hmm. Now we laugh at that because we know that if we miss a you know, message on Facebook for an hour, nothing disastrous is going to happen. But our reptilian brain, <clears throat> excuse me, and the feelings it creates in us can feel as if something worse is going to happen. It <laughs> that's a, that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's it is amazing. It's and that's crazy. why we act on it. Yeah. But on the on the flip side, I think there is a po there is a positive feeling. That's the other dominant one, which is a desire to connect with people. This pro social, pro connecting drive that we all have. Uh, you know, I, when I hear people say sometimes it's all fear, I don't agree. We often go onto our devices because we want to connect with friends or family or just or someone we're working with. Whatever, that's a really positive drive, and neither of these things on its own is is inherently bad. And it's another thing if you practice mindfulness, you learn our, none of our thoughts is inherently good or bad or feelings are good or bad. Often where they get us in trouble is when they are unexamined or out of balance. You know, if we're too driven by wanting to connect all the time and it's it's imbalanced, what can that lead to? It can lead to compulsive social media use, uh, being uh, striving for likes and acceptance in a way that's unhelpful. Again, there's in moderation, there's nothing wrong for that with that. But what becomes unhealthy, either being driven by fear that's not examined or by the drive to connect, is when we just act instinctively out of it and it controls us and it's not balanced. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you just talking about these things, it makes me look at my own life and really register, okay, when are those moments that I am not thinking about what I am doing? And I really love how you're encouraging us to take a step back and really analyze. I, I love how you're coming at this with an approach of fighting distraction, really cueing in and honing in on that focus. So I'm wondering how can we focus on our focus? Yeah and improve that focus and really, really think about it so that we can remain focused. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can practice it. And this is another part where the martial arts comes in. So, you know, take something like uh, martial arts teach you how to, how to deal with fighting. And if you've never seen a fighting art or sport like boxing, you might think, well, if you're going to fight, you just do what you can. You might not realize there are ways you can break it down into small, uh, digestible pieces that you can practice. Uh, to learn specific skills that you could use in what may, in reality, in a real fight or attack, be somewhat chaotic. 
but you can still break it down. And so you can do that with a distraction. And I'll give you an example. Now, right now, my phone is far away <laughs> from me <laughs> intentionally. Um, and I'll just step back and say, that is another thing you can do is you don't have to only focus on practicing being different with your phone. I'm a big fan of having your phone turned off, be in a different room than you. You know, I'll use I'll use a martial arts analogy. I had a teacher many years ago. I remember saying to me, um, "It's better to block than to get hit." Okay, sure, someone's punching you. I'd rather block that punch right than get hit by it. Better to move out of the way than to block. Yeah, because if you try to block a punch, you might miss and you'll still get hit. Safer to move out of the way. So better to block than to get hit. Better to move out of the way than to block. Better to not be there in the first place <laughs> than to move out of the way. Yeah, yeah. And same with the phone. Uh, great if you can develop the skill to resist picking the phone up when it beeps at you. But why not just have it be in, a, in another room certain times when you choose? One reason is then you don't have to exercise the self-control of resisting it when it rings or beeps. That actually takes a lot of energy if you multiply it by the hundreds of times a day when you have to exercise that control. And if, you're, if you are engaged in something that takes focus, and I've been using examples like writing or creative tests, but it might just be being with friends or family, having a meal or any other kind of social gathering. Why impose on yourself the need to hear that beep and resist it? It, even in that few seconds, you're taking up energy, you're distracting yourself from being in the moment with people. So I'm a big fan of, of keeping devices away from you in conscious ways when you don't need it to be around. But I'll give you an example of a practice. Uh, so we don't have our phones with us, but people listening, you can take out your phone, uh, wake it up. And now I always ask people, and this can be quite challenging, think of the app that most sucks you into it, okay? And, and uh, I'll say for me, it's, it's still email usually is the one, particularly because it's got that badge on it that tells me how many messages are working. Oh, yeah. I don't, yeah. do you have one? A lot of people tell me Instagram these days is the one. What is it for you? That's a great question. You know, I didn't get a smartphone until about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get Instagram until maybe, I think it was like about six months ago. It was over this past summer. And I think by far that's the one okay. because I, I've i made an effort, a conscious effort. I don't have the Facebook app. I don't have email. I, I have a lot of apps that I've chosen not to have on my phone. But because Instagram, you can't really use it on the computer. Mm -hmm. I have that on my phone. And now I'm finding like, Okay, is this really is it is it helping me or is it more so hurting me? That's yeah, yeah. something that I that I ponder about a lot because there are times where I'm bored, I'm standing waiting for the train, I might pull up Instagram, see what's happening, and and it does take energy. It's it's a matter of okay, where are we allocating our energy each day? And even though it might just be a little bit, it does, I, I could feel the effects that it's having on me. Yeah. And we often do this when we're bored. You know, I do it when I'm bored, when you're doing something else that's difficult. But so you've got Instagram and for people listening, you're all going to have different apps. So here's the exercise is you wake up your phone, find the icon for that app, and then slowly move your finger towards it, but stop right before you tap the screen. <laughs> and sit there and people often laugh. <laughs> There's nervous laughter that this elicits. Why? Because it's hard, you know? And I ask people, what are you feeling now with your finger, you know, a quarter of an inch away from the screen? It's often tension or fear or irritation, some sort of excitement. Um, uh, often irritation at me for, for making them, you know, not tap. But the purpose here, just like in this uh, martial arts training exercise I mentioned, where you see the punch coming and you breathe and relax while being focused on it. You do the same thing with your finger there hovering over the icon. If you feel your, ten your, your chest tensing up or your shoulders hunching or your breath stopping, consciously let yourself breathe normally. Relax your body. Relax your face. Do this for a minute while keeping your eyes focused on the icon. You might be feeling all these things. Part of this is to practice being present with the feeling, 
but without acting on it, without reacting to it, without being controlled by the feeling, in part just to get the experience of the fact that I can have this feeling of an urge or a craving to use Instagram, but that doesn't mean I have to act on it. And it's quite different from what your normal experience might be because you might be listening to this saying, you know what, I've never had that craving without acting on it. Yeah. It feels so natural, but you can do it. If you can do it for five seconds now, you can learn to do it for a minute. Um, and if you practice this repeatedly, uh, what I think you'll find is that then during the course of your busy, hectic day, when you feel that urge to to check Instagram and you pull out the phone absentmindedly and you move your finger towards it, you'll be more likely to pause because you've practiced doing that. So, I, I mean, I use another analogy, which is you can do rep training for this. Like you oh, do in I the love gym, that. That's great. Know, which is take the phone out, find that icon, move your finger towards it, pull it away, put the phone away. Pull the phone out, move your finger towards the icon, pull your finger away, put the phone away. Do it quickly, 10, 20 times. You're training your mind and you mentioned body. You're also training your body to move towards the phone and stop before touching it so that that physical habit gets trained uh, into, into your body so that when you're not being as mindful, your body is going to be more likely to repeat that habit when you need it. Uh, I love it. It's so simple, but it's easier said than done. Yes. And I think I, I absolutely relate to what you're saying with regards to the importance of practice and really practicing something, putting in those reps yeah. so that it becomes a habit. And so long as we're able to practice these mindful tech habits time and time again, I think in the long run, we'll, we, we'll see the positive impacts of those. Yeah. And in fact, sometimes people say to me, you know, this seems kind of silly. It feels strange to practice doing something like this, you know, moving your finger towards the phone <laughs> and pulling it away. But the fact is, whether consciously or not, the devices have trained us to engage in the habits we have now. They've trained us to practice tapping on that icon thousands of times. We just didn't think of it as training because it was happening normally throughout the course of our day, but that's what's occurred. And now those habits of tapping, of, of acting on the urge, of responding to the notification have become very deeply ingrained habits, even though we didn't set out to train them, we did train them. So it shouldn't seem strange that if we want to have different habits that are more in line with our own values and how we want to act, that we're gonna have to take some time to consciously untrain the old habits and replace them with new ones. That's a, such a really enlightening way that you put that, that we have been practicing in a lot of ways the wrong habits, and it has worked on us in this subconscious level. We've talked a lot about how really all these, these technologies, whether it be social media, our smartphones, the internet in general can have these really negative effects on on our well-being and just how we're living our lives but also it comes with a lot of positives too i'm wondering if you could share with our listeners how do we use technology so that we can obtain all the great things that it has to offer while minimizing those negative effects yeah, I, I, thanks for raising it because uh it's it's very important uh, to stress that I'm a big believer in the positives of technology. I think underlying all of these techniques, the reason I develop them for myself and teach them to other people is that I want for myself and other people to have the ability to engage with technology in a helpful way. Uh, if I didn't, I would just be suggesting getting rid of your devices or always turning them off or doing you know weekends without technology and being without, without, without. Again, I think those things have a place but the reason I focus on developing new habits for interacting with technology is because I believe they have a lot of they have a lot of positive value if we are the ones guiding how we use it, you know, uh, uh, 
for the, the old expression of the tail wagging the dog, right? <laughs> uh, that's basically what a lot of tech is now. We need to turn back to being the ones in control of how we're using it. And if we do, it's a lot of great benefits. So here we are on a podcast. We happen to be sitting across from each other, but I've done a lot of podcast interviews in both directions over Zoom or Skype with people in other parts of the world. And then we publish this and people get to listen to it all around the world. I mean, that's an amazing use of technology. It is, it is. You yeah. know, and when I mentioned the connecting desire we have, that's where I think some of the, the most valuable uh, uses of technology are, is for connecting with other people. Uh, particularly now as, as real-time video has become so widespread. I think that's really an amazing, amazing use of, of technology. Um, for myself, I've found some of the simplest technologies, it may sound funny, I have no sense of direction. <laughs> so GPS doesn't just help me to get from place to place. It's given me more confidence to go places and explore in ways that I wouldn't have without GPS. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a lot of very simple technologies like that. Uh, I mean, GPS in a sense isn't simple. It requires a worldwide network of satellites, you know, to, to work. But I think it's helpful sometimes to step back and ask yourself, like look at the course of your own day and ask, um, what are the ways in which technology during my day helped me connect with people better? You know, uh, do my work better. Uh, engage in my passions or interests in a way that felt fu fulfilling, perhaps even more fulfilling than, than without it. Uh, th there's so much about it. I think you know, if you practice uh, mindfulness, one of the great things about that is you don't have to do the exercises I teach. You can use mindfulness to pay attention to what is feeling uh, healthy or unhealthy in your own life, in your technology use. And you may find things that are totally different from what I'm talking about, but you're basically using mindfulness as a way to explore your feelings when you're using tech and say, oh, you know, that feels good. I wanna do more of that. I wanna start tomorrow off and set my attention, intention to have that video call again with my spouse or friend or child or something in a, in a different state. Or, you know, I was on social media for an hour and when I did it, it felt kind of good. But when I was done, it didn't feel very good, hmm. you know, and now I want to set my intention for the next time when I do it. And, and I think that paying attention to your feelings, particularly afterwards, because the way technology works, it can suck us in to an almost hypnotic state sometimes. Uh, you know, I, I, I have this experience. I ask people, pay attention to times when it feels like you're waking up from having been in a tech vortex. <laughs> for, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. For a while. Yeah. You know, it often feels like, oh, wow, what, you know, what was I just doing? Most of the time, I would tend to say when you wake up from it, it's from an experience that had some negative flavor to it, or at least afterwards has some flavor of regret to it, even if it's only because you spent more time than you wanted to. And that's another pernicious aspect of technology, which can make it tricky to sort out. Sometimes you engage in something that can be really positive if you did it for 10 minutes, but not for two hours, hmm. you know? Yeah. And it can be hard in the moment to notice that switch over. Uh, you know, for some people it might be video games, where to do that for 15 minutes or a half an hour, you know, is perfectly fine, but not for two hours. Or, and I, I've spoken to people who deal with this professionally, not for eight hours in a day, or not to an extent that it detracts from your ability to live your life. You know, uh, those are the things we're paying attention afterwards, and then trying to reset your intention for the next time. Can be can be really really helpful. I may not have answered your question exactly, but I, I think there are so many ways in which technology uh, can benefit us. We just have to be paying attention to it, and also notice that it may change for us over time. You know, certain things may be good for us uh, for a short period of time uh, as we're going through a certain stage, and then not afterwards. Here's an example. You know, I mentioned GPS. Uh, certain aspects of technology are helpful, like for training. I noticed that I was using GPS, I was over-reliant on GPS, that I was driving the same route from point A to point B, and if, uh, 50 times, 
just using the GPS. And if you asked me, how did I get from one place? I wouldn't be able to tell you. Oh, wow. So one thing I started doing, and I, I don't do it as consistently as I'd like, is to use the GPS mindfully, meaning as it's telling me to take turns, pay attention to my surroundings. Oh, what's a landmark here? Where am I turning left? So that the next time I go, I can start to anticipate what the turns are and eventually take the same route without the GPS. Yes, yes. You know, and this is kind of a hybrid use of technology to use of technology to become liberated from technology. And I think learning lots of skills is like that. I play music, you know, and it's amazing now. I mean, when I started playing music, if you heard a song on the radio, <laughs> when I talked to people about it, we would listen to it on tape or, or on, on rec vinyl and slow it down and turn up the treble and turn up and try to, now you can go on YouTube and basically learn how to play any song. Huh. It's incredible, but you need to be careful to do it mindfully in such a way that you're, you are not being over-reliant on the people or the technology to kind of do the work for you if what you want to do um, is improve. And I think the GPS is a good, good example of that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. It's a matter of using technology to help us, but making sure it doesn't become too much of a crutch. Yeah. It's like help using technology to help give us that boost that we often need in yeah. life, but not becoming too too attached or too too reliant on it, as, as I mentioned. Yeah, people may not remember, there's a, a, a book uh, by Nicholas Carr called um, The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, but it came out of an article he wrote that was called, back in 2006 or seven, Is Google Making Us Stupid? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's very controversial at the time, but it's making exactly this point that by when you have an, a, a question, if you train yourself to always go to Google to get the answer, you know, his point was that that's making us stupid because it's making us be uh, more reliant on it. And we're, we're losing the skills that people had before the Internet to figure things out on their own by trial and error, by interacting with other people, by turning to other resources. Instead, just go to Google and it'll give you the answer. And it's another thing where there's nothing wrong or bad about using Google, but if you use it mindlessly, instinctively, and all the time, then it can become that crutch, which can in fact make you more dependent on it and less resourceful for yourself. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, all it comes to is being intentional with how you're using technology. So, so much of what we talk about on the SHIPS podcast is about the importance of relating and, and connecting to one yeah. another, really developing meaningful relationships in our digital age where sometimes relationships could lack a lot of depth. And so I'm wondering from your perspective, how can we use technology to, or I guess I, you know, rephrasing this question, how has technology improved our relationships to each other? And then how is it taken away something? And then how do we how do we figure out that balance? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I remember when email started feeling that it was really helping relationships because when it started, emails were sent pretty infrequently. They were a lot more like letters, you know, long, thoughtful. People took time to mm. write them. Often they'd be like several paragraphs long, like you used to write a letter for those people who are listening, whoever did write letters. <laughs> <laughs> and I found, um, and then when you'd receive one, you would tend to sit down and focus and pay attention to what your friend or family member or other person was saying to you. And it because it was easier than a letter though, I felt it helped me stay in touch with people, generally people I knew already, more than I would be able to do. It started for me just about when I started college. So uh, I remember thinking, oh wow, I'm able to stay in touch with my friends from high school and before in a way that would be harder if it weren't for email. Um, th so this turns, so that's one way in which technology can help connect people. You asked how it, can it do the opposite? Uh, I think that, um, Let's call it short format text messaging, both the ability to do it, and in the case of something like Twitter, you know, a technological constraint on the length of the messages 
really provides a, a motivation and an incentive to engage in much shallower kinds of communications. Mm. Short, less thoughtful, uh, less deep. Um, of course, there's been a lot of this documented about the fact that when people are engaging in multiple text messaging threads simultaneously with different people, it often results um, in people uh, kind of backing out of conversations once they become uncomfortable. You know, you're talking with eight different groups of friends on, on, on different platforms, different messages. You know, someone says something about a feeling they're having that's difficult. I mean, it's so easy at that, even if it's not intentional, as you said, to just not respond or go somewhere else. Whereas when you're face to face with someone present with them speaking and they say something uncomfortable, uh, both I think our natural reaction is to, to stay with them. And it's just also a lot harder. Uh, you might feel more guilty about just running away, which is essentially the equivalent of what people are doing when they don't respond to someone in text. So I'll go back to your point about intentionality. Um, without changing the technology, how can we, how can we uh, counteract that tendency? It's by being intentional when you're messaging. It can be hard in text, but I try, you know, stop and picture the person on the other end. That can help draw you into that mindset of deeper connection with someone. It's easier when the person you're communicating with is someone you know, that you know well. I think it's a great practice to do it when it's hard like if you're commenting on YouTube and you don't know the other person. You know, when it's anonymous, I you know, would recommend to anybody, um, push yourself <laughs> to try to imagine that there is a human being who's, who you're writing this about or to who may read this. And what would you feel? Put yourself in their shoes. Uh, the technology is not going to encourage you to do that. You're going to have to push yourself to do that. Now, this gets us to another topic, which may be far afield, which is the technology could be redesigned. <laughs> yes. yes. You know, to, to, to encourage us to engage in this more kind of deep, empathetic communication. I mean, I mentioned Zoom and video conferencing a lot lately. I've become a real fan of it now that it's become so easy and widespread. Even in my business, my default now often, if I just have a purely business call with a client, is to do it by Zoom. One, I just enjoy it a lot more. <laughs> but I find that both of us are more focused on each other. There's something about it that keeps us honest. I'll, I'll make an admission, which is if I'm on a Zoom call with someone, I'll be less likely to be checking email or looking at something else. And I just find we're both much more focused on each other. We can see body language as well. And I've had other people tell me the same, you know, that they know when they're in a video conference, it just helps them stay really connected to the other person and focused. And so that's a that's a really good use of technology that anyone, it's so cheap and easy and free now, anyone with a good internet connection can do that. So if you want to make it easier on yourself, uh, I would say uh, video is a great way to do it. Yeah, I think to piggyback off of what you said, and to go back really throughout the entirety of our conversation, that whatever we're using, so long as it's helping us to focus, mm -hmm. that's what's most important. Whether it's focusing on a task, whether it's focusing on a goal of some kind, or whether it's focusing on our relationships, it seems like that's the that's the thread mm -hmm. uh, throughout. So yeah. Robert, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show's podcast. But not only that, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. You are really coming into this space with a unique perspective and a unique background that is really valuable for people looking for these sorts of resources. And so I really want to thank you for providing those to uh, a wide variety of people who, who really do need them. Before signing off, I'm wondering if you could just share with our listeners where they could find out more about you and your work. Yeah, you could easiest place is to go to technologyformindfulness.com. It's all one word, technologyformindfulness.com. And we've got a blog there, always uh, tips and suggestions for how to be more mindful with technology. Uh, we've got our own podcast. I, I interview guests. Uh, I, I give my own insights into things. 
We have uh, online courses also where you can learn, for example, more of those kinds of techniques I explained to you where you use your phone and practice developing new habits. And then we've got some, uh, it, um, some guided meditations and a course on Insight Timer, which is an, uh, one of the most popular uh, online meditation apps. So uh, those are all the places where you can find out more and feel free to reach out to us directly through Technology for Mindfulness. Great. Well, we'll make sure to include all those links in the show notes. So listeners out there, just scroll down. All those links will be available. Robert, one last question for you. What is your definition of a deep, meaningful relationship? One in which uh, I think both people are, and it comes back to mindfulness, attentive to... uh, present for each other, can be fully themselves and trust that the other person will see and accept them and the same in the other direction. That's great. Uh, We'll leave our listeners with that then. So Robert, thank you so much again. Thanks so much, Pat. I really enjoyed being here. Robert Plotkin, everyone. Wow, what a great episode. I know for myself personally, I certainly learned a lot about really not only how to use technology more mindfully, but how technology is in a way entering our consciousness, our subconscious minds, and how it's really having this effect on us that we don't really realize. So with all that said, it's going to be really important for all of us to work on our focus. So Robert, thank you so much for joining us on this episode to teach us all about that. If you liked this episode and you think it might resonate with someone, share it, subscribe, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. Also, if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. Said voicemail may be released on a future episode of Ships, so please call in. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing episodes with insightful messages and inspiring guests. So if you're interested in supporting, head on over to the show notes and click the link provided. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning into the Ships Podcast, everybody. I really appreciate you tuning in, hearing your thoughts, and hearing what ways you're able to implement these practices into your lives. So thanks for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.